0: This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The time honoured Group 3 Summer Cup will highlight the Australian Turf Club's Boxing Day programme at Royal Randwick. Run over 2,000 metres nowadays, the Cup, first run in 1890, will carry $160,000 in prize money. The Gosford Race Club will cater for Central Coast holidaymakers on Friday, December the 27th with a top program highlighted by the $170,000 Group 3 Bell of the Turf, the listed Gosford Guineas and the Summer Provincial Series Final, both worth $150,000. Jumping ahead to Saturday, January the 11th and the listed $150,000 January Cup will head up the Randwick program and a fortnight after that, the listed Carrington Stakes will carry a purse of $150,000. Top class thoroughbred action continues at Royal Randwick and Gosford over Christmas New Year. I was absolutely delighted when Neville Begg agreed to join me on the podcast for a long overdue chat. Coming up 89 years of age, the former champion trainer enjoys reasonably good health, although he's happy to confess he has slowed down a bit in recent times. Had he not slowed down a little, it would have been very difficult to get this man to sit still long enough to conduct a comprehensive interview. Neville Begg was a working dynamo during his 60-year involvement with horses And I recall somebody telling me once that at the height of his Sydney training career, he'd had two weeks off in 27 years. Neville relinquished his licence on returning to Sydney in 1996 after a successful six years as a jockey club trainer in Hong Kong. He has maintained a keen interest ever since, and not long ago his name was back up in lights as the owner, breeder, and Syndicate Manager of the Brilliant Sprinter Written By, winner of the 2018 Blue Diamond Stakes. Neville Begg is online to talk to us on this podcast and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome him. Neville, thanks for your time.
1: Good afternoon,
0: John. Thank you. Talking about Written By, Nev, he won six from 11 before being retired to Whidden Stud. Did you intend to retire him that early or did an offer come?
1: John, uh, we did not intend to retire him so quickly, but uh, he was completely sound. Uh, and the offer came from just standard wooden stud, which is uh, a wonderful establishment, and uh, we took the, the opportunity to uh, to do that. And uh, he's already served a full book of mares for the first season, mm-hmm. and I believe he's got a, a very large number in full.
0: Mm, you've been to see him recently too.
1: Yes, John, we went up uh, last weekend and looked at the uh, horse and he looks in great order. And although they're going through a you know, serious drought, all the mares look in fantastic order and they're beautifully looked after.
0: He was a brilliant and precocious two-year-old uh, with a blue diamond win and a very good fourth in the golden slipper. And he finished close up in some really good group one races as a three-year-old.
1: Yes, John, he... Um, he ran fourth in the in the Coolmore Stakes down the down the straight, which he ran very well in. Mm. Um, and as you said, he ran fourth, the close-up fourth in the slipper. It was very very good runs. And uh, previously, he'd, he'd won the Pago Pago Stakes, uh, the Blue Diamond, the Blue Diamond Prelude. He he uh, done very very well as an early two-year-old, mm. and um, we was hoping he could continue as a three-year-old. Uh, but the offer came to go to start, and we took
0: him. Yep. Another very good horse you raced was All Silent, who won eight races in all for about 1.6 million. He won a couple of Group Ones, both at Flemington. He started out in Hong Kong with John Size, but he didn't show much there, Neff. John uh, no, I
1: bought him for the clients in Hong Kong, and he he went to John, and John was very patient with him. He He just he lay down for me the first twelve months that he got there, and he uh, mm. then eventually trialed him a couple of times he didn 't show much at all mm. and uh, they eventually decided to retire him and replace him, which you can do if your horse is not living up to uh, expectations and so they called me and let me know what we were going to do and so I offered to buy the horse, mm. and they accepted my offer and um we come back and we gave him a trial and Graham said, oh, look, he might win a maiden, you know, and then one day he put blinkers on him mm. and the horse changed dramatically. He won his first start and went on from there and become a very successful horse.
0: Mm. He loved coming off a good speed, never didn't he?
1: Uh, look, one of his wins at Flemington was, was outstanding, John. He came from virtually last mm. and brand uh, them. You know, he, he really won very, very well. And he he won the um, the, the mile Emirates Stakes uh, the first year of his big wins, and he came back the next year and he won the uh, the twelve hundred meter race.
0: Oh yeah! So he you know he's very versatile. You've got a talented two year old Hinchinbrook filly in Melbourne at the moment called Mildred, which was Emancipation's stable name. Now Mildred won two early races at Flemington. You've given her a little break. And she 's just back in work now with your son Graham.
1: Yes, John. I, I, I picked her out at, at the yearling sales with Graham, and we, uh, I, I only wrote, I wrote one thing in, in my book two year old mm-hmm. and that 's what she looked like to me at the sales she 'd been well, very well prepared, and uh, my middle book stud, and uh, they 'd done a great job with her and I, I purchased her and uh, Graham took her to Melbourne, and um, we had her educated here in Sydney first, and then we, we sent Matt Bella at Hawkesbury. did a great job educating her. Mm. And when Graham got her, he said, look, Dad, she's a natural. She just does everything correctly, and we took her to the races. And, of course, she won first up, and then um, she won again down the straight. So she shows some promise. Mm. So we, we're hoping that she'll back up again uh, this year and uh, be a chance in some of the better races.
0: It's not generally known that you're a Novocastrian, born and reared in Newcastle, and you got your early education with an old time trainer and a pretty smart old time trainer called Ray Cashman. That,
1: that's correct, John. Yeah, I was born in Newcastle, and my grandfather was a, a trainer. He trained a very good filly called Tibby, who mm-hmm. the race is named after now, and uh, uh, two of them are Mother's brothers were those jockeys, and uh, they. Uh, one of them, Eric he was leading jockey in Newcastle for many years, and also rode in India for quite a few years. And uh, and as I grew up, I wanted to be a jockey, and um, I was riding track work when I was virtually uh, about thirteen years old at uh, for Mr. Cashman, and uh, mm. and I carried on from there, and I. Then my mother said, "Oh, if you're gonna." want to be a jockey, you've got to go to Sydney. So I contacted Mr. McCartan and uh, arranged to go down for a trial period. And then as as soon as I could finish school, I I did that and I went straight to Sydney. And I started work with Mr. McCartan in 1945 and I stayed there for 22 years.
0: 1945 Uh, was the year you started your apprenticeship.
1: That's correct. Mm. I had a few rides and races. Couldn't ride much, got a bit heavier, and uh, then went on and stayed on as a stable hand. Um, then I started breaking in, and then um, we had a very, very good foreman called Bill Jarvis, mm. who turned out a very, uh, was an excellent trainer himself. Um, he went away to America with one of our horses, and uh and then I took over while
0: he away and then Bill took out his trainer's licence and I carried on as foreman. Mm. Now, f- for the younger people listening to our podcast, Neville, just a-, a quick resume of the deeds of Maurice McCartan. He was born in 1902 in New Zealand. He won two jockeys' premierships there before settling in Sydney. He went on to ride 1,000 winners in Australia he won the 1938-39 Sydney Jockeys Premiership. His big race record was astounding in an era where there was no such thing as group classification. Now, just very quickly, Nev, and you'll be interested in this, in 19 years of riding in Sydney, he won two Doncasters, two Epsoms, two Sydney Cups, two Australian Cups, three Doomban Cups, four Brisbane Cups. Four AJC derbies, two Victoria derbies, a Metropolitan, a Newmarket, a Stradbroke. I've only scratched the surface. I mean, he would never have highlighted his own achievements, but he must have been a huge name in his time.
1: John is a very conservative man, but he was, as you said, an outstanding job, an outstanding horseman. And um, when when I went to work for him, he was very, very meticulous in uh, the preparation of his horses. We had a couple of older horses when I first went there. Horse called Shining Night. Um, I, I think he uh, he belonged to the gentleman who used to do the Ginger Meigs cartoons. Um, and we had another old horse called Kyrie, who I had my first race ride on. He he won on Epsom. Uh, I took him to Grafton in 1947. Mm. To win the Grafton Cup, we went up by train. It's a long trip, and uh, he won the uh, Digam uh, Groudy. Right, He won the uh, Grafton Cup in 1947, mm. and then we the next year we got a very good filly come along called Sweet Chime, yep. and she won the Jim Crack. She won the Caulfield Thousand Guineas. She won the Oaks. She very very good race mare. Mm.
0: McCartan acquired his trainer's license in 1942 and went on to win four Sydney Premierships. He finished second to Tommy Smith ten times. He was a very softly spoken man, Neville, wasn't he? There was nothing rowdy or boisterous about him.
1: No, no, he's a very gentle man and uh, he was uh, respected by everybody that came, came in touch with him and... Uh, and, of course, then we had a great Neville so would come to, come to ride mm. for us. That was a, a great boom to the stable. You know, Neville was a great great horseman and a good jockey and,
0: uh,
1: mm. and very successful.
0: You rode the famous racehorse and sire, Todman, in a lot of his track work. Now, firstly, you tell me he was a devil to buck on his way home from the track.
1: John, I I rode him in the big saddle almost up from the time he raced because he would drop you on the way home, you know, if you um, weren't alert all the time. You know, he he was a very strong colt and uh, just had a sort of will of his own, you know, but we soon realised that he had ability and uh, the first time we we gave him the jump out, the the jump outs, he jumped out with another colt and it cleared out and beat the other by 100 yards. Mm. But the other one... Was horse called Gold Stakes.
0: Oh, wasn't he quick?
1: <laughs> he was a very, very fast <laughs> oh, horse. Oh, yeah. won, won a new market, and he, he was very, very good horse. And, well, yeah. he and Toddman jumped out together one morning. Yeah. Unbeknown to us at that time, they're both unraced, you know, and uh, so we we soon learned that he had a lot of ability. He, he won his he won his first race in December, yeah. uh, and he broke the Australian record for 1,000 metres, one by 10 lengths. Mm-hmm. And then he won the December stakes and we rested him. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a little bit because he started, he was in mm-hmm. and um, Mr. McCart gave him as much time as he could. When he came back, they didn't have a lead-up race then the slipper was in its infancy. That was the first time it would ever been, been run. Mm-hmm. So there was no idea of having lead-up races. So he ran in an open-class welter. Uh. And... Uh, He beat a very, very good horse called, uh, I think, Leo Sullivan training called Newsbeck. Oh, yeah. Uh, It was a very smart horse, and Todman won an open-class welter. And we had another good filly at the same time called Concert Star, and she did a similar thing. She won an open-class welter at Canterbury, and she eventually ran third to Todman in in the slipper and was a good filly in her own right.
0: Mm. Well, Todman won the slipper, the very first golden slipper by eight lengths. He loved a fancy margin, didn't he?
1: He did. Uh, in fact, um, his owner, Mr. Wooten, I think, reprimanded Neville for winning so easily. I think Mr. Wooten liked to have a little wager occasionally, oh. and uh, Neville won. <laughs> Give him a kick in the ribs. He won by 10 uh, as his first start, personally, and uh, and I think Mr. Wooten reprimanded Neville for for winning so easily, it was against the handicappers' uh, mm. <laughs> weighting program, you know, that uh, if you win by a big margin, you get more weight. But so, yeah. two, that's how it turned
0: out, you know. Two weeks after the slipper, he stepped up to the seven furlongs of the Sires Produce Stakes. Now, Tulloch beat Todman in the Sires Produce Stakes. Many were disappointed in Todman on the day, Nev. But I don't think they realised how good Tulloch was.
1: No, well, Tullock was uh, had won two or three races, including side position in Melbourne. Mm. And he came up, and he didn't run run in the slipper. Um, he dodged it and run in another race. And uh, he met. All the was backing up fairly quickly. We wasn't used to backing up so quickly, and. Uh, and he beat him in the... Uh, in the, uh, And then in those days, the champagne stakes was over 1,200 metres, six fills.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It was on the Wednesday following the sires, and um, Toddman turned the tables there. He won very comfortably and beat Todd. Uh, they were the only two times they met, John, you know, so oh. uh, they had a win
0: each. Yeah, one each, and, and when he... Uh, when he won the Champagne Stakes, he beat Tullock by six lengths coming back to the shorter trip. Now, he came back as a spring three year old Nev to win the Hobartville Stakes very easily. Then he stepped up to nine and a half furlongs in the Canterbury Guineas. Struggled a bit in that. He only won that by eight lengths. And he beat a subsequent Epsom winner called Turkestan in the Canterbury Guineas. That's
1: right. Well, in those days, he was a, was a bit of sharper trap than it is today mm. uh, and he loved it going around the corners and the, uh, he, he put a big gap in them and won it very easily.
0: Mm. How did he How did he travel over the longer trip, Nev? Did he get too keen?
1: Oh, no, no, he, he settled down pretty good. He, I, I think from memory, he pretty well led all the way, you know, and uh, mm. they will just let him stride and he just kept going.
0: Mm. He missed the Rose Hill Guineas won by Tulloch. Why didn't he run in the Rose Hill Guineas? I
1: think Mr Whitten decided uh, that he didn't want him to carry the, I think it was 8 stone 10 they carried then Mm. in the Rose Hill Guineas and run him at weight for age. So I think he ran in the Hill Stakes
0: from memory. Yes, he had 48 and a half kilos in the Hill Stakes and he finished fourth of five, but he broke down and it was obviously serious because he wasn't seen for two years.
1: Yeah, he, he cracked the bone in his hind leg, John, mm. and um, Mr Whitton had him operated on, um, and also then we rested him for a long time, and when he was going back into pre-training, he went back to Ernie Fellows at Warwick Farm, and Ernie Fellows pre-trained him and took him took him in the river up at Warwick Farm and swam him and and all sorts of things. And then when we got him back to uh, fitness again, he came back to Mr. McCartan, and we, uh, he only had three starts. he ran run to Canterbury. He carried about nine stone five. Yeah. At, at his first start back, and he broke the Canterbury track record. Mm. Um, didn't win by as big a space as he had been. But, and then we took him to Melbourne, and he, uh, he won the Lightning Stakes and then he backed up and won the Futurity. So there, he won his only three starts
0: when he on his return. You know? Yep. Now he was lame after the Futurity, and the curtain came down on a short but spectacular racing career. The mighty Todman. He was a oh. sensation at the stud. He spent part of his career at Widden and part of it at Baramull, where he's buried. He was a champion sire of racehorses, a great sire of sires and a wonderful brood mare, sire, and his influence has been enormous. And I'm talking to the man who rode him in a great deal of his track work. You must think of him, Nev, in your quiet moments.
1: John, uh, you know, you never forget those times when you had, uh, with those great horses, you know, he was just as a, as you say, he was just a remarkable horse, uh, the deeds that he did and, and the fact that he could come back after such a long lay off and, do, and, and win
0: in top pass company. I want to get your recollections of the best mare Morris McCartan got to train, and I refer to that beautiful chestnut with the flaxen mane and tail known as Winona Girl. She yeah. raced a lot, Nev. She had 68 starts in four years. She won 27 of them with 26 placings, and 15 of the wins were in races which are today classified as Group Ones. She had a couple of little quirks, you tell me.
1: John, from the time she came from into the stables from, from the sales, and then broken in, uh, she had this um, walking the box problem. She used to walk the box continuously. Yeah. She was like a tiger in a cage. She'd just walk and walk and... Um, when she'd have a gallop or a race, she'd just come home, and she'd walk. We had to keep tie we'd tie her up so she couldn't stop her from walking for about an hour till she relaxed and settled down. Mm. Um, so, and then <clears throat> she had this unusual thing. That I used to ride her down to the track of an afternoon walk exercise. She'd go, she'd go 50 yards. Mm. and then pull up and, and look yep. into the into the distance. You'd go another 50 yards and do the same thing again. And uh, she did that continuously until she got a, a, put a foot on the track, and away she goes. Yep. She never had foot on the track. She was just just a little machine when she went, went on the track. She was beautiful. Beautiful to ride. She was that quiet when she was a two-year-old before she ever raced. All the, all the kids that couldn't ride much used to ride at work. Goodness. Or, so that she was a source out of our, our yearlings. And one day Neville saw it had to ride on. They gave a tap around the tail with a, a stick and a, she, she never looked back. She, she went on from there. She won the gym crack. and yeah. uh, uh, You know a record. She had a great record.
0: She wasn't really a stayer, but she won the AJC Oaks by six lengths. She was so superior to fillies of her own age
1: she won the eggs quite comfortably. Um that was that was the longest journey she ever ran over, of course. But she was more of a sprinter. see She she won the lightning stakes a thousand meters at Flemington. Uh she won the, the George Adams Mile, I think and and uh she was she she, she she was just a great uh, uh versatile filly could run mm. short distances run over a mile and and uh she was just a top-class mare and raced top-class horses all my life yes also like aqua sky high Mm. you know uh, all the all the top class horses
0: neville we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast back in a moment the catalogue for the 2020 classic yearling sale is now available in total 808 yearlings have been catalogued over three days 613 in Book 1, 195 in the Highway Session. Book 1 will take place on Sunday February the 9th, Monday the 10th and the morning of the 11th with the Highway Session beginning as soon as Book 1 is completed. The Classic Sale has produced eight Group 1 winners since 2018, including four Group 1 winning two-year-olds or three-year-olds in Sydney and Melbourne. Of the 808 lots catalogued, 734 are Bobs eligible. To request a catalogue, email catalogue at inglis.com.au or call 9399799. Catalogues are also available for the English Premier Sale in Melbourne, March the 1st to March the 3rd. The 2020 English Yealing Sale Round is about to begin. My special guest is former champion trainer Neville Begg. We've just been talking about a great mare uh, with which he was associated during his time with Morris McCartan, the great Winona girl. Nev, sadly, her deeds on the track Eclipsed her achievements as a broodmare, but she did produce one filly that could gallop a bit.
2: John,
1: uh, she produced filly um, that I trained called Special Girl. who mm. was a very politically fast two-year-old. You know, she could. Uh, she won her first start by a big margin. She won first uh, about three three on end. George Moore was riding, and we were very confident. She went to the, the Golden Slipper unbeaten. Uh, but unfortunately, that day, she ran into what's called vein.
2: I'll say. Not South that she saw much of it. Uh,
1: <laughs> and she ran well. She ran, ran just beyond the place, getters, but But subsequently, we found she had tip bones in her knees, and uh, hmm. she was operated on uh, and came back. And
0: uh, after
1: she recovered from that, but you've never saw it attain the heights we'd hoped. She won uh, several races, um, but she, she never became what we hoped she might
0: have been. Neville Begg has already paid tribute to the late, great Neville Selwood, who was Morris McCartan's stable jockey in the late 40s right through to the early 60s. Now, how did you rate him, Neville? You've seen all of the greats, and Selwood was a contemporary of George Moore's, of course. Uh, Many of the old-timers have told me there wasn't a split match between them. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, definitely, uh, John. Neville was a a superb rider, you know, a polished horseman, I'd say. You know, uh, he went overseas and rode very, very successfully overseas and unfortunately lost his life there. Um, But uh, when Neville first came down to us, he'd he'd had a broken leg and uh, was on crutches. and the first time I'd ever met him in the... he went back to, to Queensland to sort of recover from that and started riding work up there again before he came back and unfortunately jumped off one and the leg broke again. Uh. So that, that gave him another setback. And then he eventually come down and uh, and be, began to ride for us. And I remember he had a run of outs, you know. Mm. Um, and one, one person said to Mr McCartney, Morris, if you don't get rid of that fellow, you will send you broke, you know. But from <laughs> there on, Neville never looked back. He he no. uh, he, rode, he won, won a couple of Melbourne carps. He rode all the top-class horses that were about at the time. Yeah. He's riding for Tommy Smith and all of our better horses, you know. So uh, he was a great
0: jockey. And he went on to win an English derby on a horse called Larkspur. Now, he lost his life in a race fall in Paris in 1962 and that news rocked the Australian racing world. The news came through very early in the morning. I think you heard a radio news flash.
1: John, that's right. Uh, Neville had a fall at Maison Lafitte and unfortunately um, he ruptured his spleen, I think, was the uh, the final... um, of his death, and uh, I, I, heard, I, I used to listen to the news before I went to, to work, and at four o'clock news, and a news flash come over, and oh, I was right to tell Mister McCart, you know, mm. I, I just went down and I told him he had a bad fall, you know, oh, and uh, yeah. and um, as it came out later on that he died, you know, and uh, it was mm. very very sad news. He had one; they brought uh, Neville's body back to uh, the Randwick, and had a massive funeral. And mm. um, I remember they closed Avoka Street and ran golf, you know, for the funeral mm. course at Courthage,
0: and it was a very sad time. In your earliest years with Morris McCartan, you would ride afternoon exercise and you'd mingle with horses from other stables. I've been dying to ask you about this one. You often rode alongside a dynamic galloper from Toowoomba who had arrived in Sydney with a bang and was on his way to 15 straight wins. Now, Nev, to this day, you rate Burnborough as the best horse you've ever seen.
1: Well, Johnny is a magnificent horse, you know. Um, He's looked after by a gentleman called Ned Cullen. Mm. Ned, Ned, Ned used to ride him down in the afternoon and would walk exercise, had a huge exercise ring just over it beyond the mile chute. Uh, um, at Randwick and he used to come down up the hill from up top of Cowper Street there where Mr Um, East stables were and uh, we'd walk exercise there and he was just a lovely horse and Mm. I say today you know there's not many horses could can can do what he did you know he, he um lost his first start, he ran a of his first start, and I think he ran fourth, Dick McGrath rode him, and
2: yeah. from
1: there on, George Mulley rode him, and uh, he never looked back, he he won Newmarket in Victoria, carried a big weight, he went to Brisbane, he won the Doombin 10,000 with, well, I think, more than 10 stone mm. on one Saturday, and he backed up won doom bin of yeah. so, one of the Doombin Cup the following Saturday, so 1,200 metres on a Saturday, 11 uh, furloughs the next day. you know, there's not many horses could do that. Yeah, With mm. the massive weights, mm. massive weights
0: he carried, you know. Neville, there wouldn't be too many blokes uh, in the land, in the nation or in the world for that matter, uh, who could be telling me in a podcast interview in 2019 that they rode exercise alongside Burnborough. No,
1: this... Fortunately, there's not too many of us left around these days, uh, John, but there's plenty of people saw him race, you know, so I'm sure he, he lives in the memory of a lot of people.
0: What triggered your decision to go out on your own as a trainer? How did it all unfold?
1: Well, John, I, I, I never really uh, expected to do it, but um, things were sort of slowing down a bit at Mr McCartan's and, I, I happened to say to one of my owners one day, you know, I, I might have to try training myself one day. He said, Well, whatever you do, we'll, I'll back you up, you know. So mm. that was Mr. Bill Graff, who uh, he had a couple of horses with Mr. McCartney at the time, and uh, one horse was a horse called the Red Star. Mm. And he, uh, when I decided to do it, I went down to the AJC office and I put in for my license, and obviously it was granted it straight away. Um, and then um, when that happened, Bridge well, Star was transferred to me, and Mr. Mr. Ellison from Barrowmore, started. He also supported me. Mm. And he gave me a couple of fillies and that. So I started off actually with four horses, and I uh, I, I rented some stables with Mr. Cecil Rolls. Yep, who, who's a great trainer, and mm. uh, started out from there. And I happened to be at the AJC office not long after. I saw Mr Derek Glasgow and I said, uh, I knew they were building more stables on the course and I said, to Mr Glasgow, would there be any chance of getting a stable on the course? He said, Have you put in an application? I said, no, sir. And he said, do it today. So I put it in and I, I fortunately was granted a stable straight away, you know, and, mm. and I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get enough horses to fill them up. In it.
0: You got your hands on a very good one not long after going out on your own. Now, Dick Roden, himself a very good trainer, became ill and he had to take a break from training. Now, he actually owned one of the horses you got to train and how good was he? Divide and rule.
1: Yes, well, John, it was a funny story because I, I got a, a call to go to the AJC officers. So I had to see the committee. So um, I said, well, what have I done wrong? You know, and I was I really was a bit panic-stricken and I... Uh, I got dressed up and I went down I said to the desk, where do I go to the committee? Oh, I'll go upstairs to the committee room. Uh, so when I got up there, there was only one committeeman and uh, the, the gentleman said to me, he said, oh, Mr Begg, um, we'd like you to take over Mr Radin's stables. So I said, well, yes, sir, I'd be pleased to do it. Um, he said, there'll be two horses there oh, so you, you, we want you to take over the, the horses and the state I said, so, well, thank you very much, Sue. I'm pleased to do it. And it turned out to be one was Divide and Rule, who mm. won the AJC Derby, mm. and the other one was a filly called Affectionate, who I won the Queensland Oaks with.
2: So mm.
1: yeah, they, were two, they were two nice horses to, to take over
0: with, you know. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's good to remind people uh, listening so many years after the event that this is the man, Neville Begg, who actually saddled up divide and rule to win the AJC Derby in the late 60s with Derby McCarthy on board. Your reputation as a great trainer of fillies and mares emerged pretty early in your career. Now, because you trained for many breeders over the years, maybe you trained more mares than most trainers, but you also got on very well with them. What was your rule of thumb with fillies and mares, Neville?
1: Truthfully, I I didn't do a great deal different. I obviously didn't uh, go up too hard, and I was a bit bit soft on them, probably. Didn't ride them all the time. We led them off ponies a lot.
0: And kept them happy and treated them like a lady, you told me once. Nice and happy and fresh,
1: and uh, Mm. they seemed to respond to that, you know. So I I was pretty fortunate um, to get a lot of. fillies that the breeders had kept themselves, you know, and uh, and we were lucky enough to be success- successful
0: with a lot of them. My special guest is Neville Begg. We're going to bring down the curtain now on segment one, and when we return for part two, we're going to talk about not only the best filly or mare that Neville ever trained, I'm pretty sure it's the best horse he ever trained, a great grey mare called Emancipation, coming up in segment two. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.